If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles on the back table. If you have a Bible at home, go ahead and grab it because we're going to be reading from it today. Aren't you glad for that, huh? The Bible, man. Before we jump in, I'd like to uh, go to James 1.22. James 1.22. I don't know how your past week has been. I don't know what's going on in your life. God does. So maybe you've come in with... um, Stuff on your mind, maybe things are hitting the fan in your life, you're distracted. Uh, I want to encourage you as we look at the book of James momentarily, the half-brother of Jesus. James, in the younger days, he, he kind of laughed at Jesus, you know, like all his other brothers. But when Jesus came out of uh, that grave, uh, proving who he said he was, that kind of changed it for Jesus' fam. So anyway, he's pastoring in Jerusalem, and he writes in verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word. And I want to encourage you this morning, don't just listen to God's word today. You're going to have an opportunity to do that. James says, you must do what it says. Notice it doesn't say, if you feel like it, you can do it. No, he says, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. I don't want you to fool yourselves, do you? Huh? You don't want to be fooling around. These days are not days where we have the luxury to fool around. And in just a few moments, when we get into the book of Ruth again, it's been two weeks, we will rekindle that chapter one you're going to realize that even though it was written over 3,000 years ago, it's relevant for 2020. In fact, it's relevant for August 2nd, 2020. You bet. So, before we dive in, let's pause and ask God to obey what we hear today. All right? Father, thank you that your word is so relevant and practical and powerful that it brings life change if we let it. Your Holy Spirit is all-powerful that brings life transformation. When we just don't listen to it, we've got to obey it. And when we obey it, that's where life transformation takes place. Forgive us, Lord, as followers of Christ where we've gotten into the habit of just listening and not obeying it. It's a crazy thing. The God of the universe creating all things gives human beings the choice to listen only or listen and obey. You give us that power to choose, Lord. Help us today to pull the trigger and listen and obey. And song goes, trust and obey because there is no other way. Trust and obey. Lord, help us to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Born in 1899, uh, Thomas was born to a, his dad was a pastor, his mom played the keyboard. He was exposed to music early on in his life, which by the age of 12, he was imitating the jazz music in the Deep South. In his late teens, he uh, traveled to Philadelphia and then Chicago where he started playing in nightclubs. He was that talented. Somewhere along the way in this journey, he forgot about his faith in Christ that he had been raised with. He began compromising his lifestyle and he turned away from the convictions that he had as a young person. See, his talent opened doors but his conscience wouldn't let him rest. Long nights on a road left him exhausted. Finally, a relative of his urged him to return to the God of his youth. And so at age 21, he did that very thing. He kind of burned out, hit the wall, realized, man, life without God leaves me pretty empty. And so 
he had an encounter with God, which he later said, my heart was inspired to become a great singer and worker in the kingdom of the Lord. Not Thomas's kingdom, but the kingdom of the Lord. And so his life was transformed. And as a young man, he began pouring his energy and talent into God honoring music. The rhythm and blues that he had played prior met with worship and praise to the God that he loved. He eventually took a position as a music director in a church in Chicago. At 26 years old, Thomas met the love of his life and they got married. He began a publishing company, founded the National Convention of Gospel Choirs. By 1932, Thomas was enjoying, man, the blessings of God. He had a happy marriage. He was growing in his ministry. And his first child was on the way. Man, he thought to himself, life, life is so good. And one night, after singing in a St. Louis audience, he was handed a Western Union telegram that simply said, your wife just died. She passed away giving birth to their first child. Thomas got back to Chicago as quick as he could and his newborn son died the following day. The musician, Thomas, fell into a very dark hole, you can imagine. You can imagine. He avoided people. He grew very angry at God. And of course, he blamed God. He pointed his index at God and put it all on him. He said, I just wanted to go back to the jazz world I knew so well. I felt God had done me an injustice. I didn't want to serve him anymore. I didn't want to write gospel songs anymore. I wanted to quit. And so what he did, he secluded himself. That's what some people are doing today. They're secluding themselves, man. It's not a good place to be. It allowed him for his world to shrink to himself. He began nursing anger and sorrow. That's how he lived. Finally, a friend that cared about Thomas realized the one thing he needed to do, and he took Thomas to a neighborhood music school. That evening as the sun was setting, and by the way, did you see the sunset last night? Did you see the sunset outside in Life Church's parking lot last Wednesday night, man? Holy smoke. Beautiful. You didn't see it, evidently. Huh? Did you see it? Yo! All right. All right. Well, he sat down on the piano. He began to play it. And guess what? He began to pray. When the music began, he began to talk to the Lord. He poured out his heart. You ever do that? Hmm? You ever pour out your heart to the Lord? Where it's raw? Hmm? That's what he did, man. He poured out his heart to the Lord. And guess what happened? These words came to him. And he wrote these words down. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Let me stand. I am tired. I am weak. I am worn through the storm, through the night. Lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. You ever hear that song before? It's one of the hymns that Thomas Dorsey wrote in his life. Precious Lord, take my hand. I'm telling you, man, it's a powerful song. And you can look at the other lyrics in the hymn to realize how he poured his heart out before God and God, guess what? Thomas Dorsey testified that the Lord healed him that night when he was playing the piano and God gave him that song. He went on to write more than 3,000 songs becoming one of the most influential Christian songwriters of all time all because what? He reached out to God. Guess what? When Thomas had walked away from his faith as a young man, God was waiting. When Thomas 
became bitter and angry at God after his wife and son died, God was waiting, wasn't he? Unfortunately for Thomas, he reached out to God and God took his hand, man, and led him on through life. You and I need to do the very same thing. We sure do. Turbulent times will tempt you and I to forget God. It will. It'll shake you up. It'll cause you to become unbalanced. You'll be scrambling to get your balance back, and in the process, you'll forget all about God. But I want you to know something. In the midst of your crises, turbulent days and nights, God hasn't gone anywhere in your life. Just like he didn't go anywhere in Thomas Dorsey's life, he was right there waiting with him to walk him through the process. So this morning, (laughs) I don't have to tell you, man, life can bring trouble, right? There can be problems, there can be crises, but you need to know that even in Thomas Dorsey's life and in the story that we're going to see this morning, God is faithful and he'll walk us through to the very end. C.S. Lewis put it this way, if you think of this world as a place intended simply for our happiness, you will find it quite intolerable. Think of it as a place of training and correction, and it's not so bad. Right? That's the way it is. God takes the bad things that this world throws at us, and if we allow him, he'll make good come out of it. It's a training ground. It's repairing you and I for heaven. And that's the goal. So God is working in my trouble. You've heard that before, haven't you? (laughs) Anybody? Okay. All right. Good, good, good. You're still breathing out there, right? Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. That makes me happy. So... We're going to go to the book of Ruth, uh, chapter 1, and um, pick it up at verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home, went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Milan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem. By the way, Bethlehem here is the same Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Think about that. It's interesting. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons, and the two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Milan and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Once again, I want to, uh, uh, case in point, the last verse of the book of Judges, which precedes the book of Ruth, gives us a snapshot of what was going on in Israel at the time of this writing. It says, in those days, Judges 21-25, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Everyone seemed to be doing whatever they wanted to do in their own eyes. This is not a recipe for righteousness, but disaster in a country. So number one, uh, trouble hits the fan. You might say, we already talked about this, I know. You know what I found to be interesting, though? Can I, can I tell you something? That even though we started this three weeks ago, as the weeks have progressed, world events have made this chapter even more relevant than it was three weeks ago. Did you hear that? I'm rewriting this every week, man. Because something new is hitting the fan in the world. Which once again, I endorse the Bible. Because it is relevant. 
and you need, I need to read it consistently. So trouble hits the fan. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. Let me say that uh, famine, there's famine in the land um, today. Uh, last, last Friday, last Friday, there were a, a, a group gathered and they burned a bunch of Bibles. Let's, where, where would this take place? Let's, the world map, all right, all right. You want to dial it in? Yo, you want to dial it in? That's a world map right there. Where do you think a group of people gathered and burned a bunch of Bibles? Somewhere in the world. Hmm? It was right here in the United States. In Portland, Oregon. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Now, There were journalists on the ground in Portland Friday, and they posted videos of the Bibles being burned, but you know what happened. Google, Twitter, Facebook all took them down. See, you can't see it. You, don't, you probably didn't even hear about it. In America, trouble hit the fan. Trouble is hitting the fan. Now, what I find interesting is uh, July 27th, the Chinese Communist Party, they're going into Christians' homes and they're taking the children out of their homes and they're sending them re-education camps. That's happening in China right now. Do you know what else is happening in China? There's a family that fled last year to um, Taiwan. And they said that um, they, uh, there was a group participating in an online service on Easter Sunday in China, kind of like what you were doing, right? Were you doing that on Easter Sunday? Yeah. And authorities warned them not to participate in religious activities anymore or to listen to the sermons online. Other churches in the country have reported that the government monitoring and blocking their online worship services as well as tracking their conversations on social media they say there is no longer a safe place to be a Christian in China can I say that in America today that is becoming a fact as well trouble hit the fan in Bethlehem in Israel over 3,000 years ago and the place where you and I are living trouble is hitting the fan trouble is hitting the fan and you can say, blow it off, that communist China is doing this to Christians over there. But citizens of America are burning Bibles right now. Why? Because it's a threat. It's a threat. The Bible is a threat. So why do we leave our Bibles on the shelves from Sunday to Sunday without reading them? That's my question. When people in our country feel it's so important to burn them, July 24th, Supreme Court, United States, rejects Nevada's church's challenge to shut down restrictions. Calvary Chapel, very similar to our core values here, argued that the state treated houses of worship less favorable than casinos, restaurants, and amusement parks. Supreme Court shot them down. That's in America, by the way. July 13th, California orders indoor dining. Most gyms, churches shut down again. Indoor religious services are again off limits for most of the state. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom. Trouble hit the fan in Israel 3,000 years ago, friend. Trouble is hitting America right here, right now. What are you going to do about it? In 2 Kings 
chapter 20, that's why you have to have your Bible to read it, right? Hezekiah was sick, God healed him. Hezekiah became comfortable, you know, that's cool, God healed me, I've got more time to my life. There wasn't that desperate, you know, I'm going to make a difference. He allowed um, another king to come in and he looked, opened up all the doors uh, to everything he had. Isaiah the prophet came to him, he said, listen to this message from the Lord, Hezekiah, this time... For the time is coming when everything in your palace, all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, this message you have given me from the Lord is good. (laughs) How can that be good? For the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. Isn't that a sad story? I don't care about my kids, man. You know? Yeah, let let a foreign powers come in and take them away, man. I'm good with that. As long as there's peace and prosperity in my lifetime. That mentality has crept into the church. If it doesn't knock on my door, I'm good, man. I'm good. My kids, I don't really care what's going to happen to my kids. Hezekiah, for being a king, that wasn't good, was it? I I would hope moms and dads here today would say, you know what? I care about my children. I care about their future. I care about freedom to assemble. I care about teaching God's word to my children. Because what's the most important thing that your sons and daughters are in heaven with you? And if that's not a priority, it's time to go digging deep in your soul this morning. And so, and so, some people think, ah, America, man, it's, it's messed up. Can I tell you that 106 of the first 108 colleges in America were founded on our Christian faith? That's all the Ivy League schools. Students at Harvard, they were required to read the Bible twice a day. And now they're burning Bibles, man. Harvard's founder stated, all knowledge without Christ is vain. Harvard's motto was for Christ and the church. The rules and precepts of Harvard stated, every student shall consider the main end of his study is to know God in Jesus Christ. Princeton's motto was, under the protection of God, she flourishes. Jonathan Dickinson, the first president of Princeton, said, cursed be all learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. How's that going for, to, for us today, huh? See, there's a drift. There's a drift taking place. The very thing that we were founded on God's word, public schools required to read, they were all given Bibles, you know? Paid for by Congress. Why? Because a country that knows God's word. They know self-restraint. They know self-discipline. They know delayed gratification. Trouble hit the fan. Trouble hit the fan in Israel. Trouble's hitting the fan in your life and my life, friend. Number two, trouble forces me to choose. We see that Bethlehem, known as the house of bread, that's where Elimelech and his family lived, house of bread. Bethlehem was known for great harvests, but this time in, in, their, in their history there was famine. And so Elimelech had to make a decision. He had to choose, where am I going to go? Where am I going to move my family? Uh, Do I stay in Bethlehem or do I move to Moab, 50 miles to the east? 
What do I do? What do I do? And so you would think that Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, would go to his God and ask him, what should I do, almighty God? Give me wisdom in this situation. No, he doesn't do that. Elimelech flips it. And instead of God being his king, he says, I'm king. I make all of my decisions. I'm smart. I'm going to run the life, my life the way I want to. And so he does that. He, instead of looking to the Lord, he turns his back on the Lord and moves to a pagan culture where they sacrifice their own children on the altar. Among other things. And Moab literally means desire. So you move your family from the house of bread to the city of the country of desire. I want to ask you this morning, have you done that in your life? Have you moved your family? Have you moved yourself? Have you allowed yourself to drift from the house of bread to desire? Hmm? Is that happening in your life today? It's not a good place. It's not a good place. Very simply, what goes through your mind? What do you think about? What do you watch? What do you listen to? Hmm? The house of bread that God provides to the nation of desire that fills all your sensual desires, man. How's that working out? And so we see that, verse 3, Elimelech died. Naomi was left with her two sons and... It's kind of interesting, once again, Elimelech moved to Moab to, to live, to survive. I'll move my family back to Bethlehem once the famine is over. Well, he never survived it. Are you allowing somebody to influence your life, to drift out of the house of bread to desire? Are you allowing that to happen in your life? Hmm? We need to be wise on what's influencing us, what's our intake. And so, verse 4 and 5, the two sons married uh, Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Milan and Kilian died. Thus left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Once again, Elimelech moved to Moab. Why? To survive. And he in the process, along with the two sons, did not. Let's talk about casualties because of COVID-19, shall we? Let's, let's take a look. This is the image that I want to present to you because, because there are casualties in the body of Christ, friends, right now. You may be some. You might be here today and you might be a casualty in the process. This is what war does, man. There's casualties. There's, there's a ripple effect. And you and I are in a war, whether you want to admit it or not. We are in a spiritual war. And so, the American Bible study has been doing some research about Christians, what's going on with the Christians in, during COVID-19. They found that Bible reading drops during social distancing. That's what they found. Daily engagement had already been declining. It already had been declining. Why? I don't know. But worsened during the pandemic, according to the annual State of the Bible report. The COVID-19 pandemic is shifting Americans' Bible engagement with many who are socially distanced from their spiritual communities, turning to Scripture less, and those who have lost loved ones to the virus reading it more. Between early 2019 and 2020, the percentage of U.S. adults who say they use the Bible daily dropped from 14% to 9%. A decrease of five points in a single year was unprecedented in the annual survey's 10-year history. 
Between 2011 and 2019, daily Bible readers had basically held steady at an average of 13.7% of the population. But the decline continued during the initial months of the coronavirus pandemic. By June, the percentage of daily Bible readers had dropped to 8.5%. Amid the pandemic, a larger decline occurred among Americans who say their choices and relationships are shaped by the Bible. Isn't that interesting? The larger decline came from Christians. In January, 27.8% of American adults were Bible engaged. By June, after months of quarantine and church closures, that figure was down to 22.6%. You see the casualty rate? Hmm? Yo. John Farquhar Plake, the uh, director of the American Bible Society says this study supports the idea that the church plays a significant role in benefiting people's well-being and scripture engagement. To increase scripture engagement, we must increase relational connections with one another through the church. The pandemic and now this survey have shown that when a relational church engagement goes up, so does scripture engagement. But when it goes down, scripture engagement drops with it. That's one of the casualties that's going on. Christians are reading the Bible less. Another casualty is one in three practicing Christians is still and only attending their pre-COVID church. Barna revealed findings about the new Sunday morning highlighting trends in church attendance and engagement since the nation's response to COVID-19 beginning in March of this year. Recent data show that among practicing Christians, those who identify as Christians agree strongly that faith is very important in their lives and attend church at least monthly. Uh, One-third of practicing Christians say they have done neither of these things. They're not watching and they're not going. A third. It's more likely for a Christian to have stopped attending church altogether during the pandemic. In fact, 32% of practicing Christians have done just that. How's it going for you? Hmm? So easy, so easy to point our fingers at peripheral things instead of probing our soul. How is it with your soul? Is it well? Is it healthy? I can tell you that with all the stuff hitting the fan, I have been driven to pray for our country like never before. Along with that, reading the Bible consistently, I need to. I need it. I need it. And I can tell you, man, being here on Sundays and Wednesdays with God's people, I give it a thumbs up. I give it a thumbs up. Because, man, I need you. There is casualties all around us in the body of Christ. And we can take a light, just be lazy about the whole thing, man. This is just, you know, I can cruise through this, Christ. No, you cannot cruise through it. You can't afford, look at the numbers here, man. Bible reading going down, church attendance checking in, down. Dude, you're getting bumped off the rails here. It's dangerous ground, man. Dangerous ground. And people can burn Bibles, etc., etc. And we just chill. It's okay to burn Bibles because I don't read mine. See? That's the mentality out there. It's all right. I'm not reading mine anyway. Well, that's why you're drifting away from God. Is it possible Elimelech was drifting from God when famine hit the land? 
because there is nothing recorded that he sought God's face on what to do with his family. Are you a casualty? I hope not. Stay engaged. Stay engaged. Three, trouble prepares me for God's grace, and this is great news. After Naomi's husband died, her two sons died, after 10 years, word got back that the harvest was ready back in Bethlehem. There was renewal. There was renewal in the land. We need renewal in our land, don't we? Huh? Yes? We need renewal in our land. We need renewal in our core. Lord, renew me. Lord, shake me up if I have to get shook up. Maybe I'm just too passive. Maybe I'm just coasting in my relationship with you. When was the last time you read your Bible, man? Hmm? You read it and let God speak to you and then you obeyed it. When's the last time that happened? Because trouble, trouble, hopefully what you've heard this morning, it will motivate you to get back in and dig down in your walk with the Lord. Number four, decisions to be made. With her two daughters-in-law, verse seven, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. And they wanted to come with her. No, 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 you don't want to come with me. Can I tell you, here is Naomi. You would say that she would be a woman of God. And life has beat her up. And in the process, she says, you don't, you don't want to go where I'm going. Even, even Christians can influence us in a wrong way. And that's why you need to read your Bible to know the truth. And discern the truth, because even Christians will say, no, don't come along with me. Just keep on doing what you're doing. Not good, not good. Not good. We need to be careful. We need to be wise. Number five, a wise responds, verse 14b, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. I love it. I love it. Even though she's getting pushed back from her mother-in-law, you would think that the daughter-in-law would respect her mother-in-law and do what she said to go back to Moab where they sacrifice children, pagan worship. No, no, no. Something happened in Ruth in those 10 years, man. She saw something. She saw something in that family, Naomi's family, that caused her to put her faith in Almighty God. And this is that wise response. One, no turning back. No turning back. Ruth clung to tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi, she said, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Oh, man. Ruth was committed she was, she was committed. Um, she was committed. And um, we need to be committed like that, don't we? It's possible. Dutch Sheets wrote, um, he's part of the Appeal to Heaven prayer movement. He wrote this recently. There are huge facets of the church in general that are discouraged and distracted by everything going on. That could be you today. They are the sleeping giant overwhelmed by hopelessness. Is there a hopelessness in you today? I hope not. He said, I see another group. So there's a group that are sleeping who are really listening to the Lord, even though they are not in denial about what's going on. They are not discouraged or hopeless. They have withstood the onslaught and have stayed strong in faith. 
And so I see two groups of believers. There's a group that has to be awakened to hope again, but there is another remnant group that is interceding and carrying the others, and they are still strong. You see, no turning back. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes on the cross. No turning back. You stay strong in your walk with Christ. Don't waffle, don't vacillate, don't procrastinate. Man, let it grow. No turning back. Number two, counting the cost, verse 16b, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So no, check it out. Ruth no longer lived her life what was pleasing to her. You notice that? She's following Naomi. She's not doing what she wants. She wants to follow Naomi and she wants to follow Naomi's God because Naomi's God has become Ruth's God. It's kind of like when you say it to your old life, like Thomas Dorsey did, I'm done with the jazz stuff, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my talent and use it for God exclusively. You, I don't want to follow that course anymore. And Ruth is going to a foreign country. No husband, no friends outside of Naomi, no job. Man, you talk about trusting God, huh? Whew, there you have it. Orpah took the wide road. Ruth took the narrow road to Bethlehem. An incredible commitment. A recent survey published by Harvard Medical School and the University of North Carolina School of Medicine just last month revealed that 90% of respondents reported increased worry, frustration, boredom, and anxiety as a result of the ongoing COVID-19 virus. People reported feeling stress from isolation during the quarantine, worries about their health, fear about their employment, and uncertainty about what would happen to their loved ones. Verse 16b, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. What a testimony from Ruth. Hmm? Really hasn't seen a strong example from Naomi, but something triggered faith in God in Ruth. Do you realize that people are searching for God more now than ever before? Hmm? Um, one of the more popular search terms on Google right now is, is God real? Is God real? During the current pandemic, people are hungry to know more about God because the day the United States announced that we would expect 200 to 300,000 deaths from the virus, the search for God skyrocketed to 100%. Think about that. With each additional wave of pandemic, the searches of Google jump again and again. There's never been a better time to ask people that God's placed in your life, do you want to know more about Jesus? Hmm? No better time. But now there's another search that comes in that should awaken the church. And the question is, am I going to hell? And it's somewhat heartbreaking that people will ask a search engine instead of asking a follower of Christ, am I going to hell? Is God real? Am I going to hell? It tells us that the church is not doing its job on the streets, man. You know? But here's the good news. We serve a gracious and forgiving God. And we can become engaged in sharing our faith boldly with the people that God brings into our lives. Number three, dying commitment. Verse 17, wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Is that, that no turning back, this lifelong commitment, you know, it doesn't matter what happens. Um, you think about over one million followers of Christ have been martyred 
in the world this past decade. They said, you know what? A dying commitment. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. My faith is strong in Christ. I'll die. I'll die for him if necessary. The Christian song, Burn the Ships by the band King of Country, echoes Ruth's decision on having no exit plan strategy. You know, no backdoor, get out of here card. No. Here's the lyric, step into a new day. We can rise up from the dust and walk away. We can dance upon our heartache, yeah. So light a match, leave the past, burn the ships, and don't you look back. Did you see the burning ship, by the way? There it is. There it is. No turning back, man. Do you have a ship out in port ready to bail out, man? Huh? Burn it. No turning back. Finally, number six, crossing the finish line. I love it, man. Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her. She said nothing more, so the two of them continued on the journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited about their arrival. And then Naomi gets out her violin. (laughs) Woe is me. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because I'm so ticked off at God. Can I tell you something cool here? Do you realize that through it all, Naomi... She was mad at God, she was bitter at God, but she never left her faith. She walked through that whole process. God, I'm, you know, you are, you are my God, but right now I don't like you very much. That was kind of her mentality. And I'll tell you something else, Ruth was the one that helped carry her across the finish line, back to Bethlehem. And that's why it's important that the people that we hang with, the people that influence us, we can trust them to encourage us to stay true to God. Crossing the finish line. Are you talking about that in your life, in your family? Do you talk about that publicly, that I'm going to finish strong spiritually? Hmm? Is that in your vocabulary? I'm going to finish strong, man. I'm going to cross that finish line for God's honor and glory. That's the way we need to live our lives. Instead of this, well, whatever happens, happens. I've got my ship in port. I can always bail out. No, you can't. You should not. And so, Ahmad was a respected Muslim leader. He was a brilliant scholar. While he was studying For his doctrine in comparative religions, he began reading the New Testament. And guess what? By reading the New Testament, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. When Sharia, the law of Islam, became the law of the land, Ahmad was called in for questioning because the the rumor was he was a follower of Christ. And when he admitted to being a Christian, he was arrested, he was put in chains, and thrown into solitary confinement. And the first night... In prison, the authorities tried to kill him, but they couldn't find gasoline for the car to drive him to the place of execution. How does that happen? Well, the next day, he was to be arraigned before the Islamic High Court. A lawyer friend, check this out, who's, who are you listening to? A lawyer friend of his urged him to renounce his faith publicly. Just keep it secret in your heart. You ever hear of that? You can call those undercover Christians. Ahmad refused. He said, I'm not going to do that. Jesus is my only defense. I cannot deny him. So he was sentenced to six months in prison. He was stripped of his military rank. He was fired from his teaching position. His wife divorced him. He lost his four children, his car, his house, and his entire bank account. All drained because he put his faith in Jesus Christ. If at the end of his sentence he still refused to return to Islam, the judges said he would spend six more months behind bars. Ahmad organized Bible studies in prison, prayer groups in the prison. By the end of three months, there were 300 new followers of Christ. 
in that prison because he refused to renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. And one night the guards threw Ahmad into a truck with orders to drown him at the river. <laughs> On the way, the truck mysteriously stopped running. Terrified, the guards and the driver refused to obey the officer's orders and he was soon released from prison. Ahmad crossed the finish line. That's a decision that you and I have to make. And I would hope, friend, I would hope today, I don't know where you are, the pulse of your spiritual temperature. Because I'm telling you, there's casualties right here, right now in our country because of this COVID-19 spiritually. Don't become a casualty. It's a great morning to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for being passive with my faith. Like Elimelech, who just kind of coasted and he did his own thing, it ends up to being a dangerous place. Consequences. And I pray, Lord, this morning that each one of us would be honest with you, would be transparent, because your Holy Spirit has already been challenging us to live boldly for you. And we're asking you to do that, Lord. Help us to read your word daily. Help us to obey your word daily. Help us to be the light of Christ. And if you've never put your faith in Christ today, I want to encourage you, today is a great day to do that. Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin. You paid my sin debt in full, and this morning I'm putting all my trust in you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sin. You paid my sin debt in full. There's nothing I could ever do to earn it. I receive that free gift from you, Lord. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for being my personal Savior. May your Holy Spirit empower me to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A great decision, a great choice. That will keep you from having to question, will I go to hell? No. You put your faith in Christ, you're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. In other words, will not go to hell, but will live forever with Jesus Christ in heaven, man. What a promise. Let's stand together.